0: Everybody and welcome back to Dragon Fruit. I'm your host Caroline Chang, and today's episode is something a little bit different. The podcast thus far has been interview-based, but with this episode, I introduce a new format in which I share a conversation between me and a friend. This week, I bring you Ray. She's a fourth-year ecology major at UCLA, and we met through a research project during the 2019-2020 academic year. This conversation allowed us to catch up with each other, but to also discuss restoration, undergraduate internships and research, finding your passions, eco-anxiety, and a whole lot more. I hope this provides some more casual listening and that you enjoy this format. There will hopefully be many more of these episodes to come. Do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Okay. Um, (laughs) I'm Ray. I'm also a UCLA student, like Caroline. I'm studying ecology right now, and I met Caroline through a research project that we did together last year.
0: Yeah. Should we explain how we met?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you want to us so, a little bit about um, why you wanted to join the research initiative?
0: Sure. So we met through Sustainable LA Grand Challenges. They have an undergraduate research scholars program, which just brings in undergrads at UCLA from different majors to come work on sustainability research at the school. And I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't even know the applications were out. Like I was so clueless. And I- A had- lot
1: of people have the same story, actually. Mm-hmm. I yeah. found out about the program the exact same way. See, that makes sense. I had no idea about, same about same it when, when I wanted yeah. to get it.
0: <laughs> but I just happened to see the email that was a follow-up saying like, oh, we extended the deadline. So if you want to apply, and I applied totally last minute. So it's honestly like, so lucky that I no, got I it. I
1: did the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember- I didn't even read an email. Like I saw the application on the front page of my UCLA when I was logging in <laughs> yeah. and then I was going to start studying for a final. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply for this like as a little break from my finals mm-hmm. and then it turned out so well.
0: I know, no grand challenges is
1: amazing. I amazing. always recommend it to everyone that is interested in research at all.
0: Yeah, I have too. I just think it's such a good opportunity to obviously get experience, but also it just introduces you to so many interesting people. And even undergrads that you meet through it, I feel like it's a really cool way to meet different people you wouldn't have met otherwise.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I, yeah, um, just to explain, I started the program when I was a second year. So a year before Caroline joined Mm -hmm. and I did research on coastal sage scrub plants and urban heat island effects. It was really cool. And then I loved the program, obviously. So then I applied to be a project consultant and that's Mm -hmm. how I met Caroline. She was one of the students in our group.
0: Yeah. So Ray was my PC and our group project was looking at crow populations in Venice Beach, Marino del Rey area. And because of their relationship to the least Turn and I don't know, should we get into
1: that? I mean, yeah, we can, there's an endangered colony of birds there, which is super awesome. I mean, we never actually got to see the birds though, which is sad. I know, that's... Our project got kind of cut short, but we still made the most of it. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of great times learning about how to perform like field surveys and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Well, you had a really cool internship over the summer and so, it was I just, amazing. I mean, it was just watching I loved it so on much. social media. <laughs> living the dream right now.
1: I feel like I wasn't even using social media that much before mm-hmm. that. But then when I started like looking up at the world that I was in, like at the work that I was doing, I was just like, God damn, my life is incredible right now. Like I loved it so much. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get back on Instagram.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it was yeah, so it. cool to see what who were you working for exactly and like what were you doing?
1: Um, So my title was Native Plant Nursery Intern, and Mm -hmm. the nursery manager is Antonio Sanchez. He's hired for the National Park Service at the Santa Monica Mountains through one of their partners. That just provides him with a lot of funding. It's kind of complicated. Like, the National Park Service has, like, a million different partners that helps them really just do a lot of work and then get a lot of funding that they need. So I was an intern through one of their partners, not actually through, like, the National Park Service. Mm -hmm. But they worked so closely that I was working with people who are hired through the NPS and people who were hired through SAMO Fund, which is the partner that they were working with. And as a native plant nursery intern, I kind of thought that it was just gonna be like a lot of, you know, water the plants and bump them up into bigger pots. But it was, I mean, there was that kind of work involved, obviously, but it was so much more than that. Like I learned so much. I learned how to identify like all of the plants that you could not ever imagine, like here in LA County. And I was like, this is exactly what I wanted to learn that they don't teach at UCLA. Cause they don't really, I mean, you could do a field quarter but that's not really the focus of it, you know? Yeah. So this internship was so good with like teaching me like field survey methods that were like a lot more elaborate than the ones that we did for our undergraduate research. Cause they're for an actual project NPS. Yeah. Yeah. So We did a lot of like field monitoring and then, you know, maintaining native plants because They actually grow their own plants to use at restoration. Mm -hmm. So, you know, restoration is like you put plants in the ground to help the native plant populations flourish and kind of return to what they were, like their baseline population before all of the disturbances, like invasive plants and, you know, human disturbance happened. So, the NPS, they actually have a nursery where they grow the plants so that they know exactly what population the seeds were from for their restoration projects, which is awesome. That's cool. Yeah. So oh, really we cool. got to go like into the field to collect the seeds and then we would sow them, water them, like help them grow and then plant them. So like we got to see the whole entire process. It that was amazing. Was so I awesome. learned so much.
0: Oh my God. Is that the kind of stuff you want to do after undergrad or do you want to get like a PhD? It's okay mm-hmm. if that's a hard question. <laughs> no,
1: it's okay. It's okay. Um, Yeah, because I did Grand Challenges for two years, right? And I loved the projects that we did together and I loved all of the things that I learned so after working like in that initiative for two years I was like oh hell yeah research like I will love to do research and I was saying like I'm gonna apply for PhD programs right out of undergrad but then when I started the internship I was just amazed at how much I actually love doing work like that like without even having to like like at the lowest level as an intern like we're just doing grunt work for them you know yeah like, you know I love this I don't need to know like I don't need to do the literature review I don't need to write the methods and the introductions like I do enjoy that work but it's also just fun to be outside with the plants I was like I think Mm -hmm. after doing this for a while I think I actually just want to take a break from school and research and I'm going to try to like just find work after I graduate and then get a master's or a PhD depending on what I'm into Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like once I've already had like some of that experience just to kind of I don't know school's been a lot (laughs) i can't imagine going right back into it after this year
0: yeah especially a phd because that's like a minimum of five years yeah five plus plus for most people (laughs) yeah but yeah no there's definitely is something else to doing the hands-on work and actually being in the field and like
1: Mm -hmm.
0: not sitting at a computer typing all day
1: (laughs) i mean it's for some people and i thought it would be for me honestly it could be i like if i were to actually put in the work and apply and then get into a program out of undergrad like theoretically I know I would enjoy it but it also just sounds really nice to take a break
0: Mm -hmm.
1: just like for work that I know I would enjoy yeah
0: definitely and maybe like from getting work experience you can see a project that you might not have thought about doing for your PhD before which would be awesome
1: yeah I feel like people in PhD or master's programs, like, when I talk to them about their research, I'm like, oh my god, it's so specific, like, how did you, like, narrow down yes. to that, and I, know. I feel like I'm not ready to have something that specific that I need to work on for, like, five plus years, oh, so kind for of want sure. to just get to know, like, what I really enjoy working with. Yeah,
0: no, that's kind that. of where I'm at, too, because I think after Grand Challenges, I was like, this is awesome. And mm-hmm. with my individual project, like, I love the faculty member that I'm working with and I just had such a good experience. I was like, oh, maybe I should just jump the gun and do the PhD and just commit mm-hmm. to that life. But I have no idea what I would wanna do it on. And I have no idea mm-hmm. what work I would wanna do after the PhD. So yeah. I feel like getting work experience first might help kind of solidify that image and solidify the path and everything. Yeah. Wild. It's kind of crazy that we're at that point now, though, where you really have to seriously think. I know like, like, what's
1: coming next. Like I was just scrolling through LinkedIn, like, oh, cool mm-hmm. jobs. Like I want to start applying because I am just so excited for it. But yeah, I mean, who knows where I'm gonna be like in six months and what the world's gonna look like. And okay. I can't apply for a job six months in advance or not for the kinds of jobs that I'm looking at, anyways. Yeah, it's hard to I plan ahead. Graduating. Head. I, oh my god, I'm so ready. Like. I love LA and I, I love learning. Yeah. But especially this year, like this year has been crazy. Like having to be at 110% all the time is just, I'm burnt out. Like I'm ready to be done. Yeah. How has your school year been so far?
0: It's been good. I don't know. It's like, obviously kind of weird balancing school. And I feel like being home I'm in a way more relaxed mindset than I am when I'm in Westwood because Westwood's Mm -hmm. like where I go to school and where I do work and all that stuff and then being home I was like I just want to sit on the couch all day but I don't know it's been good and I really liked my classes this quarter and like the professors I had were awesome and I feel like I learned a lot even though it was online which is good Mm -hmm. but yeah it's obviously different but
1: yeah Mm -hmm.
0: I don't know. And I'm still doing research, which is which was nice. So I still had a project that wasn't school.
1: Mm-hmm. How was your research adapted for remote work, remote learning?
0: I honestly have been very lucky with that because my project, we only collected one type of data in person. So we drove and got spatial videos of all the houses and all their yards. Oh, mm-hmm. I will preface. So the research I'm doing, <laughs> I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I this know is,
1: exactly what your research is about. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> So the research I'm doing is with the Department of Urban Planning at UCLA, and we're looking at yard homogeneity. So that's when yard landscaping becomes more similar over time because of the popularity of turf lawns and trees and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just seeing what are the factors that that, influence that, Um, specifically do homeowners associations exacerbate that effect or not. But anyways, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so... (laughs) The only data that we had to collect in person was getting these videos of all the yards to actually see what they looked like. And we did that, I think, winter quarter, like way before Mm -hmm. COVID really started becoming a concern in the States. And yeah, other than that, everything was online or through mail. And then I just, I had to do some calls because I did interviews this quarter, but that Mm -hmm. would have been over this over Zoom or over the phone anyways, so. It adapted really well yeah nice yeah things are going well we're starting to r- write a paper this coming quarter for it and like mm-hmm. submit it for I publishing did. which i'm so excited about but yeah it's so Can cool
1: we your name on the author's line caroline Chang. What
0: i'll literally she- cry <laughs> <laughs> like yeah it's crazy and i yeah i just didn't expect that but sh- kelly so i work with <laughs> professor kelly turner but I didn't expect, obviously, to like write a publication out of it. I thought it was just going to be for Grand Challenges, and that was it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she was like, "Oh, I think this could be a really great publication, and I'd love to work on it with you." And I was like, "You love to hear it." Wow,
1: I'm, that so, is I'm one really of the curious. things about Grand Challenges yeah. like. So- Like, funnily enough, before I actually even started the program, because I heard Mm -hmm. that I got in, and then, you know, there's, like, those few months until the school year starts, right? So then I was talking to some people who I knew had done it before, and I was just, like, what did you think about it? And they said, oh, it's only okay, or, like, oh, I didn't love it. But Grand Challenges is really just something where you'll get out of it what you put into it. So Me and you and our team, we were super extra with the Crows Project in Venice. Oh, yeah. Because it was fun, you know, and it (laughs) turned out really well. And we learned a lot from it just because Mm -hmm. we were all super into it. And the same thing happens with all of our individual projects. Like, Mm -hmm. it sounds like it went really well for you and you were really engaged with your work, which is nice.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely is what you put in is what you get out of it, which I feel like is something for college in general. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I feel like my first year I was – lost little puppy (laughs) I didn't really get super involved and I was just confused about everything and Mm -hmm. so my second year I came in I was like I'm just gonna say yes to everything and I'm gonna (laughs) take all the opportunities and go so hard and I definitely got so much more out of being at college because of it Mm -hmm. so I don't know if that's your experience too but
1: no it was exactly the same funnily enough I came into UCLA thinking I was gonna be pre-med and then oh I didn't even know that (laughs) yeah I mean I did like I worked at a sports medicine clinic thing in my high school. So then I was like, oh, cool, medicine. I wasn't even like really passionate about it. I just Mm -hmm. was like, okay at it. Like I was doing well in high school. And then like all of the like competitions I did and tests I took that ended up like on my resume or whatever, they got me into UCLA. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll just keep on like with the pre-med track. But obviously that's not something you can do unless you actually love it or are passionate. Yeah. About it, or are just good at it and I was none of the above so I had <laughs> to look that immediately and then I took like one ecology class and I was like oh my god I love it
0: mm-hmm. and here
1: we are years later still loving it yeah
0: have you ever had Professor Lipman
1: yes I love her okay. people say many things about her but she's just one of those people that's also really passionate about what she does so how can I yeah. not love her
0: no she's awesome but it's so funny because the first class she was saying that I love having all my biology students who aren't in EEB <laughs> take this class yeah. because I love converting them to ecology majors. And like, it happens to a lot of people. <laughs> <from pre-med. laughs> mm-hmm. It's funny, but uh, I mean, if you're really not into pre-med, doing ecology and stuff is so much more exciting.
1: It's so fun. Like yeah. I love going outside and hiking and stuff. And now I get to do it like for research or for work yeah what
0: class changed your mind like what what about Um, it brought you into it um
1: it was actually LS7b so it wasn't even like LS7b the introductory bio course that everyone is required to take yeah and there's only like a two-week section about ecology yeah and the rest is like (laughs) genetics and stuff but those two weeks I loved so much that I went out and I bought a bunch of books about like ecology I think I read into the jungle by, I don't remember the author. It might be Sean Carroll or someone. Mm -hmm. And then gorillas in the mist by Diane Fossey. She's a primatologist. She studied mountain gorillas. I was just noticing myself really enjoying these books and like these documentaries I was watching just for fun. And then I realized like, you know what? I'm doing this for fun, but I can do it for school. Yeah. So yeah, I think I was also taking a human anthropology course at the same time Mm -hmm. about evolution. And then there was a big section on primates. And then reading the book about Diane Fossey, I became really, really into primates and conservation. And then ecology kind of naturally followed from that. <clears throat> That's so Yeah, cool. so I was just kind of noticing what I actually enjoy doing instead of like physiology and stuff. So I was like, yeah. I'm just going to do that instead.
0: No, it's kind of awesome, though, that you, I mean, you were doing it for fun, but you took the initiative to explore something that you were curious
1: about. I feel like yeah, a lot I of mean the pre-minute classes just made me miserable. And then <laughs> I also noticed that whenever enrollment time came around and I would be reading class descriptions, yeah. I would look at an EEB class and be like, oh my God, that sounds so fun. I want to do it. And then I was like, well, duh, I should be an EEB major. <laughs>
0: <You're> like clearly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh my God.
0: That's so fun though. <laughs> I and like it's good that you found your your way.
1: I think I'm really lucky that it kind of mm-hmm. happened to me early. Yeah. Like I I mean I did, I was physiology and then I was environmental science and then I was ecology so it was still kind of like a non-linear path like it took Mm -hmm. a little while but you know it came pretty easily and I know that I'm passionate about it which I feel really lucky about that I know something that I really do enjoy
0: yeah no that's what everybody's dream is that's what everybody (laughs) wants to say everybody wants to hear that (laughs) I know I'm so lucky (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I feel like people in like ecology conservation Even environmental science I feel like are a lot more likely to really feel passionately about it because I feel like right now there's still small fields and nobody coming out of high school is like Mm -hmm. I'm gonna
1: make a lot of money and become an ecologist (laughs) you know it's so funny I'm in a Facebook page about like ecology memes and they're doing this thing right now called charity ball and mm -hmm. then they're like okay everybody like choose your team and whatever team raises the most money wins and like your teams are based on like do you like plants do you like to study sharks like what do you, do you like to study bugs and then like the plants team is huge because everyone loves plants but we've raised like not a lot of money like it's a good amount of money but like compared to the other teams yeah and then everyone's like come on botany bunch what happened and we're like we don't make any money <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like there's just- two of us but collectively we're still poor yeah because <laughs> so okay yeah you're a plant person right yes for sure how did plants happen <laughs>
1: Um Grand Challenges actually like my oh. individual project was with coastal yeah. sage square plants so there actually wasn't any field work involved but I still for some reason like I just found myself reading the literature for my review and like for my citations and stuff mm-hmm. and I was just like super into it like I remember reading you know peer-reviewed papers and stuff like that for like Physiology and molecular bio, and just hating my life. Like, these papers are dry and I'm not having a good time. And then, yep, when yep. I started reading plant papers, I was just like, you know, I love it. Let me read another one related to something else. And like, I just went down a rabbit hole reading about plants. I was like, okay, this is probably the right thing. I mean, yeah. I was a second year though, so I had like no experience. So I was still trying to be open minded. Mm-hmm. But then, just that research project about plants. And then you know, the internship I just had over the summer working with plants, I kind of solidified. oh, I also worked like as an herbarium technician, which is working with dried mm-hmm. plants mm-hmm. and just like, I don't know, like curating UCLA's collection of herbarium specimens, that's a whole nother thing. But mm-hmm. I just had a lot of you know signs and promise to me. I love plants, yeah,
0: yeah. I feel like that's how it has to be though. You can't mm-hmm. know until you experience it.
1: I mean, even now, cause like, I've only been in school, like studying ecology for like what, two or three years. yeah. And I've only had like one great internship and a few research projects. And they, I mean, they were great experiences, but it's not like enough for me to say, yes, plants are my entire life and they're gonna be my entire life. I just really like ecology and conservation. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. So here's a hot take, controversial conservation question.
1: Okay. What <laughs> do you
0: think? <laughs> What do you think about assisted migration?
1: Oh my god! <laughs> <I> remember. <laughs> you remember that moment when Dr. Gillespie came <laughs> as a guest speaker in Grand Challenges, and he was talking about assisted migration because he was in favor of it for black walnut oaks in California and then I was like I I don't even remember what I said but I've said something a little like only a little bit contradictory and then she was like oh my god Ray I could punch you in the face right now and I was like that's really aggressive people
0: feel very passionately about this conversation
1: and I took a plant ecology course which by the way highly recommend it's my favorite class I've ever taken at UCLA took it with Professor Kraft he's amazing Um, I will (laughs) yeah just for funsies yeah he's amazing. Um, the, for our final discussion section, it was, it culminated into like a debate about whether or not assisted migration is good or bad. And at the time um, I was, I mean, I still, am not really sure where I stand with it because I haven't looked into it recently, but at the time I was a little bit against it just because, you know, for the restoration club that I'm in, we spend, Hours upon hours upon hours pulling invasive plants, and that's kind of like the main thing that we do until we're ready to plant. Yeah. So then I just like was thinking about all of the giant fields that I had seen overtaken by invasive species, and I was like, yeah. I don't know how I feel about this assisted migration thing because people in my section were kind of going crazy. They're like, Yeah, we'll just take seeds and we'll start volunteer programs and plant them here, and I'm just like, Oh my god, like it's great like I love the energy but I'm just so terrified of what could happen like based on what I had seen like for the restoration events we had been to so I was the only one that was like even mildly opposed to it and I just felt so attacked the whole section (laughs) but like I get it you know we Mm -hmm. it's a really nuanced subject where there's really great things in support of assisted migration but there's also just like really scary things oh for sure yeah I think I remember someone saying that like the chance of a plant species becoming an invasive are pretty low I mean I don't have any like numbers or citations to back that up but I mean it sounds reasonable but even though the chances are low it's just like I don't know man we could destroy consequences are dire wrong I think I remember at the end of the class period I was saying like I mean sure you changed my mind like I would I mean that's kind of what restoration is sometimes it's not really Mm -hmm. just migration but we're bringing plants to an area where they may not be anymore so maybe like I don't know if that counts as assisted migration, just like expanding the range to what it once was since it's like tiny now. I guess it's, I don't know. I would have to ask someone who actually knows about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I would say I'm kind of, I see the logic of it and I see the merits of it. So if I was to be like an intern at another place, like for a restoration project and they were saying we have an assisted migration plan and like here's the details and here's why we think it's a good idea. I wouldn't be like, Superposed to it mm-hmm. I would just say as long as all everyone involved did their due diligence and make yeah. sure it's a good plan sure let's do it <clears throat> yeah.
0: it definitely is about
1: the right preparation
0: mm-hmm. because I do think there's a lot of anecdotal stories about how terrible it can go and how really even I just feel like well maybe it's more the animals but you know there's like good stories about how they were like we're gonna bring this species in to deal with this pest Mm-hmm. and then it just goes horribly wrong like all <laughs> yeah. the birds instead of what you're actually going after or something
1: mm-hmm.
0: so mm-hmm. I don't know but I agree that like if it's very well planned then
1: mm-hmm. I think that's basically what I said at the end of the class section and then when everyone was getting ready to go the TA came up to me and he was like you know I kind of agree with you and I was like yes I want the one person one, that <laughs> 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 one person backs me up. that's what matters <laughs> I was like, it's not black or white. I'm not going to say yes, always, or no, never. It's just oh, yeah, show me the situation and then maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of applies to all ecology projects.
0: I know. I was going to say, I feel like everything is very situational because every ecosystem, species, freaking problem is <laughs> so different from one just like a couple miles away. It's mm-hmm. crazy. <clears throat> um, oh, I mean, I'm in the ERA group
1: chat, but how's ERA going? Oh yeah, so ERA <laughs> is the Ecological Restoration Association. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Valerie Millette, she founded the group last year, and then she really kind of showed me the ropes for how to run it because I'm running it this year. And honestly, it's going amazing. Like, I kind of was really worried about losing engagement because, yeah. I mean, the whole thing for the restoration club was to actually like carpool every weekend and go to restorations Mm -hmm. and during the first year that the club existed it went amazing like we were volunteering every single weekend i loved it we were all like we had started this like huge network of people who really want to like volunteer and learn about ecology which was amazing and then obviously stay-at-home orders hit and everyone like scattered like all the ucla students know like we're kind of all over the place now so we had to kind of adapt to how do we do a restoration club online without any restoration (laughs) but yeah we talked about it amongst the directors and we were saying you know the best thing we can do right now is to just help educate about restoration since we can't actually restore so we have like it feels like we have a million projects on our plate but really it's like I think it's like four (laughs) but it's a lot to manage yeah but the directors in era this year are so amazing like I feel like And we just had a leadership panel where we were talking about it. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you do end up as a director for a club or like a project consultant for research, it's because you're truly passionate about the work that the organization wants to do. And I think that's really true for all of the directors we have this year. So even though it's like a really hard year where everyone has like Zoom fatigue and like just really like emotional distress from how terrible the year has been people are still doing so much like extra work that they don't have to do, but they do it because they care about restoration, which is yeah. amazing. So we have like an educational outreach project. We had a career talks project where people were invited, like students were invited to talk to professionals in the field and like network and whatnot. Um, yeah. I'm kind of blanking right now, but ERA has done like a crazy amount of work this quarter. No, like, we've accomplished a been lot. Super and really
0: active, Which is yeah. awesome. Like you're saying it's, based on actually going out in the field and doing restoration. But this Mm -hmm. quarter, it's been super active and super engaging, which I feel like a lot of clubs just kind of quit (laughs) this quarter. It's hard. No, we actually
1: quit spring quarter. Like when everything first happened, Mm -hmm. we were just saying, it's okay. It's everyone is shell-shocked. Let's just start again next year.
0: Yeah, which I think is valid. And I think every organization needs time to regroup and kind of figure out how things are going to work because Mm – obviously nobody was planning for this (laughs) yeah yeah
1: I think the one thing for Ira that I feel proud of doing like personally was in my like planning ahead like because we didn't really start our projects or our events until the quarter started obviously but like Ira had been on my mind since we kind of like unofficially disbanded due to COVID so I was just thinking about like you know how can we inspire people to keep on working and keep on learning when even just, like, being a person is just really hard right now. Yeah. So I had it in my mind that I wanted the work that the directors sign up for to be really, really rewarding. So even if, you know, you're too tired or you're too busy or you're just, like, stressed out, mm-hmm. you still kind of look forward to the work that you signed up for. Yeah. So I think I feel proud of the projects that I came up with for Era. And, mm-hmm. yeah. No. <laughs> it was an awesome <laughs> um, club. We have a native plant mapping team going. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, UCLA can't officially like encourage people to do field work, mm-hmm. or, like undergraduates at least. Yeah. But, you know, as an individual, I can still go hiking by myself. I'm allowed to do that. Like, if yeah. I do it weekly and I plan ahead. And since I was always in the Santa Monica Mountains, anyways, for my internship, I had the idea to just collect data about like, what plants are there and where are they, yeah. um, like common hikes that UCLA students can go on. So then we would collect data and make a Google My Map just to show like, here's like 20 points. And if you have the Google My Map with you when you go hiking, it'll take you to a point and it'll tell you all about the plant. So if you're by yourself, you can still learn about the plant species, which is what era wants to do. We want to teach people about you know, plant communities. And we it was so fun when we would do it in person. And I thought to myself, we should still try to do it this year even yeah. it together. So yeah. that was a fun project.
0: No, I think that's something good about this club because I think it's very engaging. And I think it does a really good job of creating a community. Like No hate to other eco clubs <laughs> at UCLA. But like, I have literally been in three or four different clubs <laughs> at UCLA. And it's just... They're all awesome and they all do great work, but I think mm-hmm. being because these clubs are people that are really passionate about the work that the club is doing, it's mm-hmm. really important to find one that you connect with the people there and you connect with the projects they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that just hadn't happened for me until Era was created, and then I actually felt it like, was the oh, same for me.
1: Yeah, it was the same for me. I actually the per- the person who founded Era, Valerie. Mm-hmm. I didn't know her until. I had, like, gotten in as a director to help her. Like, oh, really? Practice. Yeah. But oh, she was one my her closest, closest her UCLA friends. I love her so much because, like, we're just on the same page with so many things. Like, we yeah. love the same things and we're into the same work. And, like, it just was such a natural friendship that blossomed from working together.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even know. I literally thought you guys had known each other since you got to UCLA
1: it feels like it because we're just like you know same soul same person yeah. yeah no it's
0: such a good club anybody at UCLA listening join this
1: club. <laughs> I'm honestly, it, it was my favorite club
0: yeah <laughs> yeah honestly it's so
1: good it's just and you and you get to get off campus which is just yeah an actual I, needed that. I needed that when I first joined in my third year like we were going out for our field surveys like it's not that I wasn't going out. It's just that I wasn't really seeing nature living in yeah. Weston. And I was yeah. in the botanical Garden every day already. Like, I just want to see more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then Ira brought me to the LAX Dunes and the Biona Wetlands and like this Florida Basin and to so many places. It was yeah. incredible. And I didn't have a car. So like carpooling That's with Ira was like my ticket, you know? I yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. It. No, and
0: Los Angeles is so interesting because it's part of a biodiversity hotspot
1: I always it's, like
0: um, find that so unbelievable yes because when you live there and you're in the city or in a really developed area you, you feel so removed from all yeah. of that and I feel like you have to travel not super far but kind of far mm-hmm. and you need a car to yeah. go and experience it so it becomes mm-hmm. this outing that I feel like a lot of the time i would like oh I don't have time or I don't really feel mm-hmm. like organizing that so it's nice to go with a club that'll just
1: get you on the road (laughs) yeah Yeah, that was kind of like era's signature thing like let's carpool and let's go somewhere and when stay-at-home orders hit and nothing was safe anymore we were like our signature thing is gone yeah so that's why we kind of have these new projects which Mm -hmm. i really like i mean they're kind of a lot of work so you know, someday when everything is safe again and ERA is back to its signature thing of like taking people out like to restoration events, mm-hmm. maybe the projects will still be there depending on whatever the directors then wanna do. I don't yeah. know.
0: <laughs> yeah. But it could also be something that lightens up, like, mm-hmm. like the paper summaries and everything that, mm-hmm. that are happening right now. You could just do less of them. Or, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: But like you said, it depends on who the directors are. Yeah. I think another main thing that I liked about ERA is, you know, I kind of also barely noticed this, like, since my internship, but UCLA is obviously an amazing school, but there's not a lot of opportunities to, like, really, really learn, like, detailed and in-depth things about, like, plant ecology or, like, Mm -hmm. animal ecology, unless you go out and find them. So, like, you can join a research lab, but it's still not the same as, you know... Being whatever entry level work would be like in that field, unless you want to go pursue research. So UCLA is like huge on research, but not really big on like field work in general. No, totally. So like talking to the other interns at the Santa Monica mountains who go to CSUs or other kinds of schools they will talk about, like, yeah, I took a really detailed, like plant systematics class and I know all about this. Or like, yeah, we had a ton of field trips. So I already can kind of ID most of the plants here. And I would just get so jealous. Like, I love UCLA, but we don't have classes like that. Yeah, definitely. So not. I want ERA to fill in the gaps for, like, if you're passionate about plants or wildlife mm-hmm. and there's not a class here at UCLA about it, you're like, you can connect with people at ERA and we can learn about it together in a fun way. Yeah. No, UC-
0: I agree. UCLA is awesome. But I feel like a lot of the classes are very, um, I don't want to say broad, but they cover mm-hmm. a lot of different content instead of going really deep into one specific mm-hmm. type of content so yeah. like you're saying you don't learn as detailed in class and
1: mm-hmm. then because
0: it's so research focused like you're saying i feel like they kind of assume that everybody wants to go into academia in the way that they approach mm-hmm. giving you experience as mm-hmm. opposed to doing like applied
1: science or mm-hmm. it's like an entry-level requirement for a lot of biological technician jobs mm-hmm. to be able to recognize like what plants are what or yeah. what birds are what. And like, there's nowhere no class at UCLA where you can learn that. And I'm like, this is a really entry-level skill. It's fun to learn about and you need to learn about it. So Ira's gonna do it because we yeah. can, <laughs> and, and it's that's fun.
0: why student orgs are important. <laughs> Love to see it. Yeah, no, <laughs> for sure. That is something cool at UCLA. but I mean, I feel like at any college campus is that students have a lot of initiative Mm -hmm. I feel like passionate students can do so much and like create their own projects in their own communities Mm -hmm. which is really cool so even if you feel like your school isn't doing everything it possibly could you can still Mm -hmm. get funding from the school you can still Mm -hmm. be supported by the university but do what you feel like is important
1: that's one of the things that I always mention when people ask me about UCLA because you know talking with the other interns I would say I so jealous of those experiences you had and they were like Ray you sound like you don't even like UCLA and I'm like well no I love it here yeah. sorry I said all of those bad things but I mean what a truly amazing thing about UCLA is that you know I got to meet Valerie who started ERA and I got to meet like you know my herbarian technician co-workers who love plants so like everyone you meet is kind of really really extraordinary in some way yeah. and then when you like band everyone together like we have But like twelve directors with Ira, like we can do really amazing things together. Oh, from just like you know, in my free time or like I'll set aside a little bit of time to help out this club, and then when everyone collectively does that, it's really cool. What can happen? Definitely, I feel like
0: UCLA has a lot of students that really want to do impactful work and mm. I don't want to say change the world but people who want to <laughs> change the world and they're mm. like I feel like I have the power to really do something amazing and I want to work mm. with people who are also doing amazing things and that's something I miss from being on campus and interacting with people exactly yeah
1: Sad <laughs> hearing about it but yeah like I always felt really empowered working with everyone I used to
0: yes play. that's mm. a good word that's a good way to describe it <laughs> yeah I just feel Especially like I would working-
1: always- yeah sorry. sorry go ahead working with Dr. Scheib. grand challenges she's like one of my idols and i learned so much from her she's like what i working with her is like the best encapsulation or whatever of my use of experience like working with someone who really wants to help you grow and help you just learn to do what you want to do no matter what it is that was dr Scheib for me yeah
0: yeah i feel like i've also UCLA okay at least for IOES which is what Mm -hmm. the Institute of Environment Sustainability and that's obviously where my experience has been at UCLA but I've met so many faculty members that really just want you to succeed they're like Mm. if you need help with anything if you want me to connect you to people if you want me to just be a mentor so many people are open to it and will like Mm -hmm. really commit to helping you which is incredible because I feel like in college I mean, we talked about this already, but you can you know a little bit of what you might want to do mm-hmm. and how maybe to get there, but actually talking to people who have done it are is obviously the better way to
1: mm-hmm.
0: achieve what you want to achieve. And I feel like that's such a lucky thing because mm-hmm. a lot of people I talk to at other schools like they don't have that kind of support or that mentor men- mentorship. I can't talk or that mentorship mm-hmm. that I feel like I found at UCLA. Yeah, play? i found a really amazing network at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like UCLA isn't known to have an alumni network. And so I was also considering going to University of Michigan and that has like an insane alumni network. People from <laughs> Michigan marry people from Michigan and they love Michigan and like that's it life forever. It's one of those schools. And so UCLA, one of the things that, I was thinking about was like, am I gonna be connected to people? Is there really a network at UCLA? But honestly, there is. Like there's no flashy alumni network,
1: but there is. (laughs) Like you'll find it when you're not even looking for it. (laughs) Exactly, yes, yes. My boss at the Herbarium, um, Dr. Tom Huggins, he would always say like, you know, let's go on an outing. Like, I wanna teach you guys about this community. And he would send an email, like officially inviting everyone. But then in the email, he would always say like, no, we're going just as friends, not on official UCLA business, probably just to protect him from liability stuff. But I was like, yeah, we're going hiking as friends with Dr. Tom Higgins, I love it. And he (laughs) was like, he would, oh my God. Go hiking with a botanist, Caroline, and you'll see what I mean. But like when you go hiking with someone like that, like it's not a hike. Like you don't get tired. Like you get to the start of the trailhead and then you're there for 20 minutes looking at a plant species (laughs) and then you walk 10 steps and another 20 minutes looking at different species. And it was just like that all day. And then at the end of the day, he was like, okay, we're going to take a quiz. And then he pulled out like five clipboards from his backpack. And he was like, I'm going to go first and I'm going to flag a bunch of plants and then you're going to write down what you think they are. And I was like, this is... Such a UCLA thing. Like people are fucking nerdy for fun. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay.
0: No, you can swear. It's okay.
1: But yeah, I loved t- working with Dr. Huggins, or I mean, we call him Tom. <laughs> no,
0: that's um, that's like the best thing I've ever heard. The best boss work, yeah. like staff relationship ever. <laughs> loved him. Let's go on an outing and look at plants because we can. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so fun.
0: See, like I'm an environmental. S- science is major which doesn't mean I can't do botany but mm-hmm. I don't think that's like where I want to go but then when I talk to people who are in botany like you <laughs> like oh that's so cool and it sounds so fun and like obviously I can't do everything ever mm-hmm. but it's just so My cool. Make
1: friends with a botanist and then it's the same thing you'll go on crazy hikes. Yeah <laughs> there we go. <laughs> what are your plans for next quarter? What classes are you taking?
0: I'm okay another don't be afraid to anybody who might be applying to UCLA don't be afraid of this but the classes I was planning on taking are full
1: <laughs> Aww, So sorry that happens no, to me a ton of times
0: yeah and it all works out in the end so which yeah. is why I'm not too stressed <laughs> but it's just kind of like disappointing but mm-hmm. yeah so right now I'm enrolled in environmental journalism and communications which I think will be really, really cool. cool yeah and I think that's obviously an important skill to be able to talk about science to the public. And
1: mm-hmm. that's a
0: whole other conversation we can have about how <laughs> science is not acceptable accessible. But yeah. And then I'm enrolled in climate change and climate modeling in mm-hmm. with atmospheric and oceanic sciences. And then what's my last class? Oh, it's an environmental health class. It's about air pollution. Oh god. I feel bad that I don't really remember what the course is called. It's required yes. for my concentration, but it's, I, th- I think it's about air pollution.
1: Mm-hmm. We'll find out. Well, <laughs> we'll see
0: when we get there. <laughs> yeah.
1: Those classes are hard. What? I feel like atmospheric and oceanic science classes are always, like, really challenging.
0: Yeah, because they're very technical. Like, mm-hmm. I took one this past year, and it was, like, an entry-level one about calculating pollution and everything like that. It was super interesting, and, like, really cool to see how you actually put numbers to like how much pollution is going out there and how it interacts with different bodies of water in the air but it was more math than I thought I would ever have to
1: use. So. Yeah that's always I feel like that's usually the experience with those kinds of classes. Yeah what are you taking next quarter? Um, I'm gonna finish the Spanish series which is fun. I feel like the Spanish classes are the only classes I've been like enjoying during remote learning, because it's like mm-hmm. they force you to talk to people and like to show up to lectures oh, and like Yeah, so I love those classes. And then I'm taking a class with Dr. Lipman which I'm already so excited about. As soon as I saw her name, she's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be like a seminar. I think there's only like 20 people allowed oh. for the course. Yeah, and it, I I mean I signed up first pass because I really wanted it. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly what it's called, but it's something about like applying ecological answers to environmental questions or something like that so in the description she said like you're gonna partner with like an NGO or like some other organization I don't know if it's like we're actually gonna do it if it's all theoretical but either way it sounds fun yeah so we're gonna solve problems or we're gonna learn about it and I'm just excited because it's with Dr. Libman and I'm a fan of her work and her classes yeah and then what's the last class that I'm taking oh tropical ecology with dr warlitzki another person that i love um
0: yeah all things ecology i love it so that's the best though when you get to the upper divs and it all just has yes. to to major
1: i know it's embarrassing because like i'm about to graduate but i just now finished the chemistry series because i was putting it off because of how much i hate it mm-hmm. and like the sigh of relief after i finished that final exam even though i probably did terribly like i'm still just so happy to be done with chemistry yeah. it's my least favorite prerequisite and it was also my last prerequisite ever so it's like from here on I'm just coasting through classes I really am gonna enjoy
0: nice hopefully that's <laughs> the best feeling being done with your like lower div prereqs the weaver
1: courses
0: yeah but no Dr. Lipman is like so cool <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's something I really liked about so I was in conservation bio with her this quarter and she, even that class, which is just about content and just about teaching you things and you're not actually applying it too much. But even then she made it very solutions-based, I feel like. Mm-hmm. She talked a lot about like actual examples and actual conservation and community involvement and stuff, which was so cool. And I feel like I learned so much that, I don't know, like people always say involve the community but what does that actually mean? And she actually talked about that and like how different it could be for every community and all the different factors you have to take into account. And it was very interesting, very educational.
1: (laughs) I always recommend any class with her. Conservation buyer was one of my favorite classes. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. wanted to take restoration ecology with her so bad. Like I was even enrolled in it Mm -hmm. um, for last spring quarter, but then that's kind of when everyone scattered yeah. so then I was just thinking to myself like do I want to take an online version of a restoration class where the whole point is to go to the restoration site and restore oh. it so I was like do I want to learn it online when there hasn't been any planning or like they haven't had much time to plan how they're going to yeah. do it instead I mean it, it was still a good course that quarter because I mean I was still in contact with Dr. Littman and Dr. Galitsky who were teaching it about like they were gonna do with the class but then i thought to myself you know i'm gonna wait a year see what happens and enroll in it like hopefully things will be safe by then and i can take it like like the best version of that class yeah but you know here we are almost a year later and (laughs) i have a new schedule conflict anyway so i couldn't do it if i wanted to Mm
0: -hmm. what a crazy time we're in that's all (laughs) i know i probably say it all the time but it's a crazy time
1: but look at us getting through it yes Exactly.
0: That's a positive thinking we like to see. We're the <laughs> kind of person? Of
1: so many times a day. <laughs> like most of my day is like I'm relaxing in bed and then I go to my desk, do my work. Oh, I deserve a break. I'm going to go relax in bed. And then it's just like repeat times a million. Yeah.
0: But no, it's good to think about it like a period of growth or opportunity or becoming more adaptable instead of just thinking about like everything sucks and everything's mm-hmm. worse.
1: I still have health and safety so yeah exactly it's all good for now Mm -hmm. and
0: I feel like that's also a good mindset to have working in conservation (laughs) and restoration (laughs) because that can be very sad very quickly
1: if you don't someone I was talking with someone about um environmental anxiety and Mm -hmm. then because she was writing a paper for I what exactly what it it was It was about if UCLA is providing resources to, put to their students to deal with environmental anxiety, like specifically in the environmental and ecology majors. Yeah. And then she was asking me, like, have you ever received like support or like advice with, with like how to deal with like anxiety from the climate crisis? And I was like, no, I haven't. <laughs> Not from UCLA, at least. Yeah, no. I had to go look for it. And then I remember reading her paper and she was saying that all of the other people that she interviewed kind of said the same thing. And so, like maybe that's something you still needs to work on. But like, eco anxiety is fucking real. Like, yeah. Um, like, I mean, you're kind of when you're doing research, you just kind of like reading peer-reviewed articles and like maybe they do field work maybe it's just in the lab But you kind of forget about it because like the research is just like you know here's the experiment and here's what we learned and then you get to like the little conclusion section and it's like oh yeah here's why the research is happening and here are these insurmountable odds that we need to overcome (laughs) it's just like I don't know try what I can do that's it
0: (laughs) yeah I think that's what's hard about dealing with eco-anxiety and environmental anxiety is because it is such an insanely large task that you're looking to try and solve. No matter what, whether it's climate change no or, it. or yeah, or conservation or pollution, like literally every sector is just such a huge problem
1: mm-hmm. that
0: it feels impossible. So quickly, <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about whether or not I'm getting resources to like deal with that.
1: I think one of the author's points, oh shoot, I should have her name. Her article is in the Daily Brew and her name is Peyton something. I can look it up, sorry. But oh, um, good. her main thing was that when people teach about, you know, the climate crisis, we're receiving that information from professors who are typically much older than us. Okay. So like, It's not the effects of the climate crisis are not going to affect their generation. It's going to affect us. So then, when she pointed that out to me, I was like, wait, you know what? That's not fair. (laughs) Like, they were so, I'm not going to say they were cruel, but they were so blunt about it. And they were so like, throwing blame around like it's because of our lifestyles of like what we've done and here are the problems here's what's going to happen and i'm like i'm 21 years old i just got here vegetarian for years huge environmentalist and you're blaming me like it's your i mean not like to cause a fight between generations but it's like it's our generation that's going to do the work to repair what the other generations have done and her article was kind of just saying like it's not really fair for them to be scaring us and like showing us all of these terrible outcomes that could happen if we don't do anything when it was kind of there. I mean (laughs) that is the truth because who was that I forget who I was
0: talking to or what class I was in but they're saying that people our age have a lot more understanding of the problem and Mm -hmm. from a very like kids now who are so young they understand that there's something wrong with the environment
1: crazy because they didn't teach that to us and we were growing up
0: yes exactly exactly but like now there's more awareness and I feel like even if your teacher isn't necessarily teaching it to you like you can see things happening around you Mm -hmm. it's just crazy how different we see it than past
1: Mm -hmm. generations her name was Peyton Kammerer by the way she wrote the piece for the Daily Bruin so you look up her name and Daily Burn should pop up if you're looking for the article. (laughs) I should read it after this because it It was cool. She reached out to a lot of people. Um, I think there were some people from the Environmental Science Network that spoke. Mm -hmm. Is that what they're called? No, Environmental Student Network, ESN, and also Environmentalists of Color Collective. So there Mm -hmm. was like a lot of perspectives, but it was kind of just same thing over and over again, how we don't really get Because if you think about it, it's like, why would they provide emotional support for the things that they teach us? It's just a class. But then when you look into the content, it is kind of like, it's really, really daunting.
0: Yeah. I think because also when you're talking about environmental problems, the science is not just science for the sake of learning. It's science Mm -hmm. to try and find a solution. It's very applied Mm -hmm. because like everything they're studying is dangerous. (laughs) like very terrible effects on everyone Mm -hmm. you know and that's not to say that like biology isn't also like that but Mm -hmm. biology feels a lot less not always but it can feel less real world if that makes sense like when you're studying a Mm -hmm. microbe you're like oh it's so small
1: yeah but when you're studying the climate crisis that's like synonymous with studying the end of the world if we don't act now (laughs) Terrifying, it's so dramatic, and it's so melodramatic of me to say that, but I'm not wrong. Like, am I wrong? I no, you're not. It could be. I mean, not the end of the world, but the end of like
0: the world as we know it. Yeah, yeah, because it. Yeah,
1: like, like I don't mass extinction right now. Let's not forget. Oh yeah. So I. I mean, you could say it almost is the end of the world already, but define what is the end of the world?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? A whole <laughs> other discussion we could have. But yeah, it's crazy because I don't think humans are going to go extinct anytime soon. Mm-hmm. It's just that the world that we're going to be in probably sooner than we think is going to look so different mm-hmm. from everything that we see now. And like we don't okay. even know how to adapt. Like we struggle to adapt to this and a pandemic is psychotic, obviously, mm-hmm. but a pandemic plus rising sea level plus desertification plus all these other things mm-hmm. like, we are just so unprepared for
1: mm-hmm.
0: multiple disasters at the same time
1: I sometimes have like these random terrible daydreams where I'm just like talking to my grandchildren as a really old woman like saying you know back in my day we used to be allowed to eat sushi because they were still fish <laughs> like, and I'm just like imagining what it, the worst possible like world is gonna look like talking to my grandkids like yeah there used to be like islands there there used to be this and that and I'm like it sounds crazy but it's not really far off if we don't act now not at all it, yeah
0: this is kind of a side note but with the fish anecdote it's crazy <laughs> to think that you can like literally in one fishing season you can take out an entire population yeah that blew my mind because if you you don't even have to take out all of the fish. You just take out all of the ones that are of reproductive age mm-hmm. and they're gone. Like that is it.
1: Did you learn that from Dr. Lipman? Yes. And I like, <laughs> what the heck? I remember that. I remember that. Oh my God. because And then just... her solutions were like, you know, here's um, what you're supposed to harvest. Like, you know, if the population looks like this, you know, don't harvest this kind of fish, you mm-hmm. know? And I'm just saying, like oh yeah yeah but like if we make one mistake are they all gonna be gone like it's terrifying yeah it really is scary
0: <laughs> our conversation took a scary turn
1: <laughs> I mean if we're talking about the environment it's, it's going to <laughs> yeah
0: of course yeah and I think there's a lot of people in sustainability that have a very hopeful perspective which is good
1: mm-hmm. yeah. but
0: sometimes it's hard to feel hopeful and even if you're ready to give your all into finding mm-hmm. some solution to something or making
1: mm-hmm.
0: or restoring anything, you know?
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I feel like ecology and sustainability are kind of different because sustainability yeah. is obviously super interdisciplinary oh, and it's, sure. it can be like really innovative. Like how do we fix tomorrow and how do we mm-hmm. you know preserve the resources? It's a lot of like really innovative work like that. But with ecology, sometimes it's just like a field survey. Or sometimes it's just like a restoration project. And when it's not as interdisciplinary, it kind of like as a restoration intern, like with the Santa Monica Mountains, it was, you know, all of the interns and then like a native plant manager and a restoration ecologist and biological technician. So we're all kind of like in the same, following the same path. Yeah. And we have very similar lends us with how we see things so we all look at like a field of mustard and think well crap what are we going to do whereas if maybe there was like a safe person like who really focused on sustainability like you know not studying plant ecology all the time they're probably just like you know here are solutions and here's reasons to have hope
0: (laughs) yeah that's that is true (laughs) I guess (laughs) how you view your work is really important because if you're right if it is solutions-based then you have to be hopeful that your solution is going to work and that you're going to find the breakthrough that
1: matters. Mm-hmm. Not to say that ecology doesn't have that, but sustain- yeah. I feel like when you're doing like a sustainability project or something like that, it's, it kind of comes a little more naturally because you're. it's usually interdisciplinary work, which is yeah, awesome. Definitely.
0: Well, that's a crazy thing about sustainability is it's like what does sustainability even mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: it's so broad and it's so interdisciplinary, it can mean so many different things. Mm-hmm. and like talking about you know implementing adaptations but what does that mean you know that can be green energy that can be restoring coastlines that can be mm-hmm. so many things <laughs> which is crazy and yeah I think that's something that's been hard for me thinking about what I want to do after college is because there's so much out there
1: <laughs> the is the limit you could yeah, do anything exactly
0: need. and like you could be preparing for a job that doesn't even exist right now
1: yeah (laughs) how
0: do you plan for that you don't
1: (laughs) (laughs) how do you get the qualifications for that they don't exist yet
0: (laughs) yeah exactly I'm like we just have to see what happens but
1: it's hard to plan for the future (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. definitely especially now because like we're saying obviously with the pandemic things are very uncertain but even with climate or just the world is changing so fast Mm -hmm. you know we don't we don't even know what we don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) i always wonder where i'm gonna be like career wise in a few years Mm -hmm. and like obviously it would be a good idea to like plan ahead and i do to an extent but i'm also just trying to stay like open-minded yeah i think it's so important yeah because
0: i don't know if you get too stuck on one idea i you're like could be missing out on something so incredible Mm -hmm. that you never knew Yeah like you with your pre-med to ecology <laughs> jump if you really like hunkered down into pre-med you never would have made that switch you know
1: oh I would have been so sad
0: <laughs> but I wouldn't have
1: enjoyed it one bit No, mm-hmm. yeah. see it all worked out
0: that's what I've learned from talking to people older than us
1: mm-hmm. they're all like it works out I'm like okay I learned that from the career talks that Ira did like a lot of the pathways that people had to their careers they look nothing like what I imagine mine to be and they still are in really good places right now and I'm like you know I get really anxious thinking about the future sometimes and like if I'm falling behind the path that I planned for myself I just have to remind myself like it's okay Yeah, it'll be okay maybe that's naive and I'm sure it is like in some ways but it's probably
0: true (laughs) I think it is true yeah every guest speaker that has come on to a class or even the career talks with Yara like nobody had a straight path to where they got to be Mm -hmm. and everyone was like I just saw an opportunity and I took it and it worked out and if it didn't work out then I'd just find something else and that's just how it is and I'm like Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) just have faith that it's going to be okay you keep trying yeah exactly you keep an open mind and it'll
1: you know conversely though sometimes I'm scrolling through LinkedIn and I'll see someone write a post about like you know I've applied to 200 jobs this year and I have had two interviews and I'm just like you know that could also happen yeah and when if it does happen like what do I do in that case I don't know I don't know don't panic (laughs) persevere yeah, yeah. I don't, I mean, what does a 21 year old know? Still in school, not done with anything. Yeah, exactly.
0: I went to a talk. It was like, I don't know what to call it. I, it was kind of a panel event with a speaker, but mm-hmm. it was, he was pretty conversational. And he's from Indeed, which is one of those job search platforms. And he'd mm-hmm. also worked at LinkedIn and Apple and all this stuff. And he, his talk was about finding a job during uncertainty <laughs> because obviously like relevant graduating now but <laughs> but one of the main things he said was that you know I because he was entering the job market during the 2008 downturn and he was like oh. nobody had work for me I mm-hmm. felt like I was very qualified and I just wasn't getting any jobs I wasn't getting any interviews and then his big thing was to just like obviously number one not get discouraged and keep applying <laughs> but he was saying like don't be afraid of the entry-level job because Mm -hmm. how he started at Apple was he literally was just the person at the is it called the genius bar oh yeah at the Apple store he was like I was literally just the person that greeted people and like (laughs) brought them into the store and introduced them to the person that was going to fix their product Mm -hmm. and he was just like and if but I was so enthusiastic and I was so willing to learn and I just like didn't give up on trying to find new opportunities that it ended up working out and like his whole thing during the talk was that whatever job you end up landing even if it's very below where you think you should be he was Mm -hmm. like just learn as much as you can from that because those skills will apply to a better position later on and he also was very hopeful but yeah he was just saying like that's really that. encouraging though it was very encouraging and he was like <laughs> I learned so many things at that job and like I obviously never thought <laughs> that I was gonna have a college degree and then just work as a greeter at the apple store but mm-hmm. you know life
1: takes you where you need to go
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: apparently I mean this is kind of related not it's not exactly the same situation but mm-hmm because I did love my internship at the Santa Monica mountains, but it wasn't unpaid internship. And for a long time, like through the whole summer, I was working full time, but not getting paid, which is, I mean, difficult for a lot of reasons. Also, it's really inequitable, which is a whole nother discussion. And we've talked about that, like at the internship and they're, I mean, they're doing a lot of work to help improve it. They're having more paid positions, which is unrelated, but, working as an unpaid intern I would sometimes get frustrated because I felt like I had all of this research experience and I got to know like the plant communities really well and I had all of these ideas but then as like an intern at the bottom there's not a lot of opportunity to pursue those ideas but the Santa Santa Monica Mountains in particular were really encouraging of like any projects that you would bring to them so we are awesome yeah a project that we had was to actually just like really develop their herbarium facilities because i was an herbarium technician at ucla it was just like a work study job that i grew to love so then when i saw that they had herbarium specimens that were just like really untouched and unprocessed and that they didn't really know what to do with them me and another intern tack he was also my coworker at the herbarium we were saying you know let's just do this project for them let's run it let's give them protocols let's teach them how to have like a fully functioning herbarium so then I mean, that was just something that we did because we had the skills and we were there all the time anyways. They didn't really ask for it and they didn't advertise that they needed it, but it turned into a job. Like they offered me a position after my internship ended to keep doing that work. So it's like, yeah, I was an unpaid intern and it was hard. And sometimes the work was just really un unfulfilling because it would get monotonous sometimes and I made no money. But yeah. in any position you're at, just, I would always recommend like do your best, like always have Another thing about the internship is that it is unpaid, but the shift started at seven. So I I feel like some people would find it hard to roll out of bed that early. And just a lot of people showed up late, which is a pet peeve of mine. But it was kind of just like the culture over there. Like no one got in trouble for being late. But Mm -hmm. I always say like you need I was taught from such a young age that you need to have like that good work ethic and you need to do your best no matter how frustrated you are. And like just try to learn what you can and make the most of whatever experience you're in. So, I mean, I feel like I did that and it worked out well. So, take my advice with a grain of salt. I have very little <laughs> experience. Yeah, I mean, that is
0: good advice. And I think how you work sometimes is more important mm-hmm. than what your qualifications yeah. are.
1: And I that- felt like people weren't noticing that me and my coworker, Tack, we were putting in like 110% effort all the time. We would show up early. We were, oftentimes we were the first person there, which yeah. was weird because we're, there are a lot of people who should be, I, mean, I don't wanna say anything bad about the people there because everyone there is amazing and taught us so much, but it's like, why is everyone showing up so late when we have like a really busy day plan? And it felt disrespectful to our manager who was also always early yeah. and we can't start until everyone gets here. So why is everyone late? It's a simple thing really, but I feel like it does, people notice when you're the one that's late every day and people also notice when you're the one that's consistently early. I Definitely. Feel like I mean, I notice it and like when I run projects and I kind of, I try not to like hold biases against people, but it's also just like, if I want to have a new project that really needs intense work to get done, I'm going to remember not just like their qualifications, but I'm going to remember who they were as a person and I'm going to remember their work ethic.
0: Yeah, for sure. Because qualifications are something that can develop over time and mm-hmm. skills are something you can teach someone, but like a good work ethic and being able to work well with other people is not mm-hmm. is so much harder to instill in a person. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's why like it sticks out so much when someone does or does not have a good work ethic.
1: Mm-hmm. Not to roast anybody. <laughs> but yeah. I do think I mean, it it's something helps. that yeah. you could always work on improving. And this applies to everyone. Like, I'm sure I could improve my work ethic in some ways too. Yeah, of course.
0: Like hopeful though, that even if you don't have all the qualifications in the world you can still prove yourself. It goes the same way. Like even if you think you have qualifications and you end up at a job lower than you, but if if you feel like you don't have as many qualifications and you start somewhere lower, like you can always move up.
1: There's always something to be said for pursuing an opportunity that might not serve you well. At least you can like expand your network, learn something that maybe you didn't feel like you needed to learn. Yeah, definitely. I worked in a restaurant through my second year of college. And I mean, it was hard because- I worked a lot of hours and then I was also doing research and stuff. But I feel like I did learn a lot about like patience and dealing with people and time management. So, I mean, obviously working in a restaurant doesn't have, doesn't relate at all to being an ecologist, which is like my end goal. But I feel like it still was a great learning experience for me.
0: Yeah, anything can be a learning experience if you treat it as such. (laughs) (laughs) This is also something though, like you can tell when when you're in college obviously everybody is growing so much but I think that's something Mm -hmm. I've noticed as me and my friends are getting older is that the way you view things is so different than before I feel like everything is like a lesson and everything is an opportunity and everything is a chance to like get experience or do better Mm -hmm. versus before I feel like at least for me I feel like I was just like floating along and like whatever happened happened and
1: I feel like I've kind of just like as a person changed so much like this past year well because of the pandemic but also because of just like getting through more school and more work opportunities yeah like when I was in high school and like my first few years of college I was kind of crazy like I was intense I would like wake up at the crack of dawn and go to bed at like midnight like because I had all of these things that I brought upon myself like you know I had a job I had like my clubs and like my sports and you know in high school and all of my like Advanced placement classes, whatever. And I just felt like it was the end of the world if I wasn't like 110% productive all the time. Yeah, and I would give yeah. myself up so much if I had a day where I just like laid in bed and I would just always get burnt out and always feel stressed out about something. And I feel like, I mean, from the outside looking in, people sometimes still say that I am the same way. <laughs> but I'm not like I, this is something I'm still trying really hard to learn. But on a day where I don't do anything, where I don't like do anything quote unquote productive, like, yeah. Why should I be mad at myself for that? Like, why am I, why is this ingrained in myself that I feel guilty whenever I just, you know, bake for a day or like do something fun and enjoyable? Like, why I still have that underlying guilt right now, even though this is just like a mindset that I developed as just like a teenager in high school. So, like, I'm trying to grow out of that. It's kind of hard, but I feel like that is something that the pandemic forced me to learn how to slow down, which is a lesson I'm still learning.
0: Yeah, that lesson is hard and that guilt is very real Mm -hmm. because I don't know, I feel like especially people are, I mean, I can't say especially people our age, I feel like at every age, but there was a time when that like hustler mentality was everything Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: like being productive 24 seven and always having a new project and always working was like what everybody should aspire to. Even if you're getting burnt out, that was like mm-hmm. the most valued way to live your life. And you're right. I feel like the pandemic has helped most of us <laughs> slow down and like see that there's value in taking care of yourself and mm-hmm. taking time to not work.
1: And it's not a lesson that you can learn in a day. Like, like mm-hmm. oh, maybe the hustle mentality is wrong. Maybe I should live differently. It's something that you have to yeah. practice. And like, it's hard. Like today I was just kind of taking time to relax because I mean, just finished finals. But then after, it happens to me every quarter, like, after final season, I kind of just, like, don't know what to do with myself. Like, all throughout the quarter, I'm just, like, I can't yeah, wait for yeah. break so I can have time to do this and do that. And then when I finally have the time, I'm just, like, overwhelmed with, like, what I could possibly do that I end up doing nothing.
0: Yeah. Ooh, that is also a thing. Because <laughs> I feel like I make a list of all the stuff I want to do when break comes and, like, when mm-hmm. I have time, quote, unquote. Mm -hmm. And then I keep trying to bounce between trying to decide what to start and what to do. And then the day is gone.
1: (laughs) And I'm like, I'm still tired. Like, like finals just ended. Like I needed at least a few days to do absolutely nothing. And then maybe I'll do like something, a fulfilling hobby or something.
0: (laughs) 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 That's the thing, though. You Fulfilling hobbies are hard because you have to make time for them but you also don't want to make time for them because they're just a hobby
1: it's disappointing if it doesn't go well too because like a lot of my hobbies are kind of just like I'm trying to make something like like I'm sewing or like embroidering or or baking or whatever I like to like make and do things you know Mm -hmm. and then if I dedicate all these hours to something and then at the end of it I don't like it it's so sad
0: I mean that's a valid feeling because you're just (laughs) (laughs) investigating so many hours <laughs> and so much effort like your freaking heart and soul is in it, like, don't <laughs> like
1: it.
0: that's the worst <laughs> oh my god like, why is
1: my leisure stressing me out <laughs>
0: yes sometimes though like leisure projects are more stressful than just your normal work because f- at least for me I feel like sometimes I'm so used to work that I'm like, okay, I'm just like doing my schoolwork, I'm re- doing my readings, whatever. And then when it comes, like, for example, doing the podcast, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want this to be like perfect. And like everything has to be exactly <laughs> how I imagine it. And like I want it to go so well. But like it's just like any other work. Like you you get it sometimes and you don't other times, and it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy.
1: Okay. Another thing I need to grow out of, need to grow out of the feeling that everything I do has to be perfect. Oh yeah. Same. That's impossible. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay.
0: But again, that's something that can't happen overnight. Like I feel like those are lessons that are just gonna be a lifetime of learning.
1: A lot of you people at UCLA are kind of like that. Or like I've encountered a lot of people who are similar to me in that sense mm-hmm. because like we all kind of got here by being the overachiever or like the person who's really extra and constantly working. Yeah. It's hard to make the switch or I don't know. Yeah.
0: And in high school, like, your whole life is just doing work.
1: People used to say at my high school that, like, all of the work you do in high school is an audition for college. And I'm like, that just puts so much pressure on everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I hated it. (laughs) Like, it was the norm for people to say, like, oh, yeah, I stayed up all night studying. And it to be, like good job. Like, no, you should go get some rest. Are you okay?
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's horrendous that we make that so normal. I'm like
1: such a different person now. It's kind of weird because it hasn't been that long, but it's like, I don't know. Would I be friends with my high school self? (laughs) Like, I don't know. She was so, I don't know. I was intense and it was hard. I'm glad I'm different. now.
0: But I mean, what, you know, three, four years is a lot of time to change. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, like have new experiences, so it makes sense that we're different, <laughs> completely different people than we were.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Ray, do you have any advice for people who are first years in college or seniors in high school about oh, yeah. being a college student and like working in a field that you really care about?
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like. Well, the first step obviously is like finding what you're passionate about and you and that is like really hard for some people. But for me, it was just like, what was I doing for fun? And like, make sure you take time to reflect and understand yourself before you make those huge decisions. So I guess my advice would be like, it's important to take time for yourself and to reflect, learn about yourself. It sounds weird, but that's what you need to do really. Like I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't spend the time to think about like, what is right for me? Like, yeah. what am I going to spend my time doing and what do I really enjoy?
0: College is the best time to do it as a young yeah. person. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for thank you letting thank me record you. our nice little conversation. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast. I greatly appreciate all of your support and enthusiasm. And if you have any recommendations, comments, questions, or concerns, feel free to reach out to us through our Instagram at dragonfruit underscore the podcast or our email dragonfruitthepodcast at gmail.com. Now, if you want to check out Ray, her Instagram is at Regina, R-H-A-Y-G-E-E-N-A. She shares some beautiful and incredible ecology posts as well as her personal life, and I would highly recommend following her. Thanks again for listening